Hey everyone, welcome to Film Talk, a podcast where two gals talk film, television, and everything in between the reels. I'm your host, Eliana Melendez, and I'm joined today by my ever-so-lovely co-host, Miss Josie Melendez. And we're going to finally discuss the newly released film, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, um, Jeffrey Wright, a whole bunch of other people, Colin Farrell, <laughs> Colin Farrell, yes. uh, Paul Dano, you know, the guy from the corner, you know, everyone's in this thing. <laughs> Absolutely everyone, everyone, your mom, your uncle's in this thing, you know, your, your great grandfather, you know, it's, it's great. It's on, it's just a, a marvel of technology. They CGI'd everyone here. <laughs> We're going to go into a spoiler Speaking discussion of, CGI, of this film. Andy Serkis. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was somebody missing. I knew it. <laughs> CGI King Andy Serkis is in this movie. Not in CGI. <laughs> surprisingly very lovely very 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 dapper i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna lie looking very dapper mr circus here um and we're just gonna get into it if you guys have not seen the movie don't watch this go link down below check out our spoiler free discussion that we dropped um as soon as the embargo let us um back this this week hopefully when this is coming up um, before the movie came out. So if you haven't seen it, around the fence, want to know what it's all about and what we thought of it, go check that out. Spoiler free. Um, this is for the cool kids. <laughs> this is for the crowd that has already seen the movie. And this is for the people on the other side of this transformational journey that one goes through when watching director Matt Reeves' masterpiece. That is The Batman. Um mm. It's Fincheresque. It's Kubrick. It's, you know, it's Hitchcockian. <laughs> it's Wright's Brothers. It's, you know, it's the Lumi. It's very Lumiere in how it just, you know, describes itself. <laughs> say it's very Fritz Lang, but that is not. That's a obscure joke. as hell. <laughs> That's not a joke. It does. Oh, you're me being of serious. M. I'm being serious. It reminded me of. Oh, M. fun. I don't know what I'm talking about. You're a humorless bitch. Let's <laughs> It's clearly a late night recording, so we're just kind of frazzled and dazzled here. But we're gonna get into it because most people, by you know, by now, by the time that this goes out, have seen this, have experienced this, gone through the three-hour runtime, gone through the motions. Um, I would hope, you know, future general audiences will be vibing with this movie. I think that they will especially from the crowd reaction from the fan screening. Um, I, it's just delicious. And like we mentioned in our non-spoiler review, um, Josie had mentioned that this is also great for the true crime besties. Um, mm. In all seriousness, you know, aside from the bit that we opened with, <laughs> it is actually like a very, very nice um, detective noir, gothic, true crime thriller um not true it's not true crime itself but you know the vibes are there just now and detective drama the whole like um billy wilder vibe lots of lots of descriptors that we've been kind of repeating for the past week but since y'all already know if you follow us on twitter if you saw our non-spoiler review y'all already know how we feel about the movie as a whole we're gonna get into the deeper aspects of it Let's talk, let's talk characters, let's talk structure, let's talk story, 
and then let's talk the villain. Because I did actually, um, somebody, I forgot who, somebody DM'd me asking if it has the same villain problem as um, the Nolan Batman movies, where the villain overshadows Batman, which I thought was a very good question. And I answered them, and I think uh, it's important enough to bring up here. No, it doesn't. I don't feel like no. the villain, no, no villain overshadows Bruce or Batman in this movie. It is very much a Batman-driven narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, including, it's very, very intrinsically entwined with um, Catwoman's narrative, um, mm-hmm. but it is very much, you know, protagonist-driven. It is not villain-driven, if that makes sense. Um, what What did you think? How are you How are you feeling with um, the actors' standouts? Um, how they were portrayed? Um, bits and bobs, things like that. I think everyone was portrayed really well. I mean, we talked about this last time. I really like Jeffrey Wright's. Um, portrayal of Gordon um I really like Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle aka Catwoman um Paul Dano as the Riddler quote-unquote <laughs> he was good we'll get into that later yeah. actually <laughs> I mean because earlier I was just thinking about the whole fact that the beginning is literally him just standing behind someone in an apartment and it's just it builds up to it so slowly and it's genuinely, genuinely, not frightening, but unnerving. And chilling. Yeah, it's very chilling because he's just there. And the way that, as soon as that I saw that scene, I was like, this movie's going to be good. Because just the way. Right? That, yeah. Because just the way you're able to play with the atmosphere and tension and um, build up, you knew that what was going to come after was just going to be just more bits and pieces of that same buildup and that same um, storytelling style. Yeah, it was definitely, in true Riddler fashion, the, the first perfect puzzle piece to the big picture, the big riddle that is the, the entirety of the film. Um, it does have, um, since it is like a, a three-hour runtime, each hour is like its own act, its own contained act. Um, it does deal with um, multiple storylines, but they don't um, overcrowd each other. They don't overshadow each other um, is the better word. And how do I how do I describe it? Everything ends up being its own story at the end, which is what most of these long stories should be like they should be contained and they should be interwoven together in a way that actually makes sense for the characters and makes sense for the central plot and the theme at the end where everything actually you know oh you know these two storylines that you think have nothing to do with each other or have very little to do with each other are actually Mm. like the venn diagram is a circle (laughs) so that's this movie um i think yes it is long but i trust the process let Mm -hmm. it wash over you don't don't watch the movie let the movie happen to you i think that's that's... just let the movie vibe just vibe with the movie let the let feel the vibes you have to vibe you feel the vibes Vibe with the movie, vibe with the score. People have been going crazy over Michael Giacchino's um, score, which is beautiful, incredible. I do recommend, a lot of people were listening to it before watching the movie. So 
which, you know, it gets you prepared for the vibes. However, mm-hmm. I think it would be beneficial to watch the movie first and then listen to the score because the score just hits really, really well because it's so um, on beat with the characters and what they mm-hmm. do, which is what, how a score should feel. The, yeah. the whole point of having uh, music composed for a film is to enrich it. But yes, the score, the score is just really good, but definitely, I mean, it doesn't spoil anything, of course, because it's a score, but you'll appreciate it more after watching the film. 100%, especially when it comes to um, Riddler and Catwoman scores, Mm -hmm. bruh, (laughs) just, I, you know, the first time I saw it, I've seen the movie twice by now. Uh, the first time I saw it, I just kind of, you know, so much was happening at once that I, all, I, you know, at some points I was a little bit overwhelmed because I was so excited. I was so hyped. And, you know, the story was so um, gripping and I was genuinely on the edge of my seat that I didn't notice some of the details that, you know, went into mm-hmm. this movie. And then from the very first scene, the movie doesn't open with Batman it opens with Riddler and like you said Riddler Riddler literally rolls up and he's just I swear to god he's he literally just he just does this he's a, just a unit Riddler just rolls up like a unit and you know we all clenched we all just went oh shit yeah no cuz it's like it's true to te- the detective and noir genre because for example for all the kids out there Scooby Doo the animated series. <laughs> they would start every episode first. You tell them with, with the the villain or whatever, like doing whatever they were gonna do, and then the mystery machine is like, "King, we have a mystery to solve." That's literally the Batman. <laughs> it's like something happens, and with it's the great. Yeah, something happens with the Riddler because you have to introduce the problem. You have to introduce mm-hmm. the person that we're gonna have to find. Same thing with Criminal Minds, which I mentioned in our spoiler-free review. You have to show us what we're up against and then present the rest of the film. And that's literally what they do mm-hmm. with this film. Absolutely. And I think, you know, sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. So they went a very much, you know, because in a sense, old-fashioned. Old-fashioned route with it. Batman is basically Matt Reeves did with the Batman what Ryan Johnson did with Knives Out and Who Done It? That's literally it. It's just that's and the, the tea. Same, and the same thing that Guillermo del Toro is is do is trying to <laughs> and the same thing Guillermo del Toro wanted to do with Nightmare Alley, which is just bring mm-hmm. back these the noir film and just pay homage mm-hmm. to that. And that's literally what Matt Reeves did with the Batman, which is to say like. Um, like with Joker, the entire film is just dealing with something through this IP, and that's literally what Matt Reeves did with the Batman. He's just trying mm-hmm. to pay homage and kind of bring back that noir aspect with some delicious IP. So he got the job done, he did it well, he understood the assignment, and he said, here you go, <laughs> dinner is served. He, he, under- he understood the assignment, said, here you go, dinner is served, and we all just, you know, sat there like the critic in Ratatouille. We were just brought back immediately, immediately, like, you know, childhood flashbacks, you know. I, I thought, uh, especially with Zoe Kravitz, I mentioned this in the non-spoiler review, um, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman brought me back to freaking, like, Michelle Pfeiffer and Eartha Kitt um, in, the, in her own way. And the yeah, accents and that, that they have. Yeah. 
Right. That Even the accents said, are, like, old-timey a little bit. Mm-hmm. I love it. That being said, because um, I've been doing my research on Catwoman and the portrayals, and what I like about Zoe Kravitz is that she's much more, not down-to-earth, but natural. Because all the others are very out there. Meanwhile, because the thing with Selena Kyle and Catwoman is that there is a persona, the same way that Bruce Wayne and Batman are are personas. They're two different There's people. There's a lot of duality in They're this like movie. They're like two different personalities, so to speak. It's a dual personality kind of thing. And with this one, it's different for both these characters because they are who they are. Um... Let me explain, because that was very vague. Because, for example, Bruce Wayne... I am Wayne, who I am, too. <laughs> Bruce Wayne <laughs> doesn't want to be Bruce Wayne, but he feels more comfortable being the Batman. And then you have um, Selena Kyle as Catwoman. It's the same person just wearing a suit. The same thing happens with Bruce Wayne. It's the same person, but they're just wearing a suit. And that is the different. That is the difference with this iteration of Batman and Catwoman. That it's literally the same person. They just happen to be wearing a suit because um, they do not have any enhanced abilities. They are people that are simply trying to hide from who they really are. So it goes a lot. Exactly. Again, yeah, it's like a whole therapy session for them wearing that masks, <laughs> wearing their respective masks. <laughs> yeah. The Batman. <laughs> daddy issues the movie exactly and they're just hiding from dirt daddy issues but yeah speaking of i'm wearing my little ears <laughs> there there you go you just need the little the little nose cover yes to complete it there you go um also let's just, her mask adorable you think i, I can't it. recognize your sharp fucking jawline <laughs> i love it she's like i, I love cool. it but it also, again, costuming speaks a lot to her character in this one. The same thing with Bruce. But I'm going to focus on her. Because it's very ready-made. It's mm-hmm. simply just stuff that she could find, which also speaks to her upbringing, which is a contrast to Batman. It's just a whole thing. There's so much you can talk about these two. Because they're just... So many of Batman's car- um, villains and antagonists are set to be a direct foil to who he is. But mm-hmm. this one is just so specific because... Selena's story is so deeply intricate and tied to his own. Mm-hmm. And there's like he wouldn't succeed the way he does in the film if it weren't for her. Yeah, it's it's it the movie is the Batman, but mm-hmm. honestly, it is very much the bat and the cat mm-hmm. both growing. And yeah. it's not so much that she exclusively helps him grow and, you know, propel himself as a character. Um he does the same with her. It is a very, very nice back and forth um, in the development of the characters. And there is a true change at the end. And it's beautiful. It's heartbreaking, yet optimistic. I think there is a lot of, of course, there's a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of philosophy that can go into this. (laughs) Puff, puff. It's just... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off for a second here. The movie deals with a lot. Yes, it is 100% a superhero movie. I think it's a superhero movie. Because it is true to Batman turning into and becoming, rather than Vengeance becoming a hero. So yeah, it is his hero's journey. It is a hero's journey. We're just waiting to see how that, the eventual moment when that narrative flips. 
Exactly. Because a lot of people are all like, especially recently, are always saying like Batman isn't a hero, blah, blah, blah. Well, technically, he's a Byronic hero if we want to get into I literary. knew it. How, <laughs> we want to get check, into, the, check the timer, y'all. Check the clock. I was waiting for that one. If we want oh, to here get we go. into literature, he's a Byronic hero, which essentially is what Batman is. It's like a person that has a lot of money and like it fits into the roman- the romantic period. Not to say that it is romantic as in romantic as in romantic romanticism and the Byronic hero is just a very flawed person who's not set out to be a hero but yet they tend to do not heroic things but things that better fit like serve society which is Mm -hmm. essentially what we're exploring in this iteration of Batman through the Matt Reeves lens which is someone who essentially is trying to do good and live up to their father's philanthropic ways but it's also coming Mm -hmm. to terms with the fact that their father wasn't really who they thought they were Exactly. So it's just a whole exploration of identity. And there is a hero's journey here. The only thing is that we're waiting for that corruption that we're so criticizing in this film to infiltrate Batman himself. But so far, he's just realizing that he can actually do good. Because for most of the movie, you see him... Wow, I'm going off. I didn't think it was... No, <laughs> like, please do. Please <laughs> no, do. No, I, said, I want the people to know. I love how before this, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it's one of those things where there is so much to talk about mm-hmm. that we can go into. Like, it's a three-hour movie. We can give a class on this at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But please, continue. But no, it's the... His whole thing is just... So not his his whole persona is very nihilistic. Robert Pattinson wanted to say that his portrayal of him was kind of like this weird Batman. Mm-hmm. Like he he was like, yes, he's very you weird. little freaky. Yeah, because he's not portraying him like Batman isn't a playboy yet. He's still very young. No. He's only been doing nope. this for two years. He doesn't want to be Bruce Wayne. So essentially, that aspect of Bruce Wayne is gone, which is what a lot of people are criticizing. They're like, where is this? And it's because he's not there yet. He's still learning. He's still growing. He still hasn't gotten to that place in his life. I mean, he's still grieving. Clearly, this is a man that is very angry and he doesn't know what he's angry at. He just knows that he's angry. Mm -hmm. And this is just a very nihilistic portrayal of Batman. And then you see that switch where... I feel so bad because I'm just thinking about Mike Feist now in West Side Story and I don't know why. (laughs) But it's just that switch that they both, like, if you look at both their characters, which is very interesting look into a character's psyche, they're both ready to die. And then the moment where that actually comes for them, they're like, huh, maybe this isn't what I wanted. Which is why I like the significance of that moment because the moment he's like, wait, I can actually do good. Catwoman saves him. And I'm like, oh. the cat saves the bat. Oh. That no, moment where just... he was actually afraid to die. Not afraid, but like you could see the switch where he was like ready. He's afraid to, to lose. Um, he, he was, was afraid to yeah. lose her. He was afraid to lose the opportunity to actually do some good and live up mm. to the legacy. Because even though he said he didn't back. care about that. Of course, he she did. comes back and like she, she saves him. That's the moment mm-hmm. where we're like, oh, she's back. But also like, oh, she saved him. And it just plays again a lot with these other characters, which all these other iterations, it's a disservice to compare them. But the reason I like her is because their dynamic isn't as teasing as the previous ones. There is, to me, there is a genuine care there. But it's mostly coming from a place like bonding through that trauma and that hurt. 
trauma bonding daddy trauma issues bonding. the movie <laughs> no I, I i completely understand and agree with what you're saying because usually catwoman is a little bit more sinister she's mm-hmm. a little bit more um how do i how do i put this she's obviously she tends to be more sensual more sexualized mm-hmm. which is fine you can be a completely sensual and sexualized and empowered woman I'm cool with that. I love that. Um, which she still is, but she uses her sensuality um, as a weapon. She uses it as a weapon of manipulation to get what she wants, um, which she does do with the first kiss that she gives um, Batman. That mm-hmm. was to get what she wanted. But then that's why they almost kissed at the end and then they didn't because all of a sudden she caught feelings. Yeah, because she's always pursued him. At least in all the iterations, like she's always, it's been portrayed as her liking him more. But essentially, like one aspect is that you can see in Michelle Pfeiffer's version, is that she doesn't really like Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. She likes the Batman. Exactly. She likes the persona. Kinky. But she's also. <laughs> she's also. I mean. I mean. Oscar Isaac as the Moon as Moon Knight. Pedro Pascal in The Mandalorian. The, like, don't, don't get judgy up in here. We all know it's a thing. I wasn't being I will not, judgy. <laughs> I, will not, I will not go into... I will not further this. I digress. I digress. But, um, the, the, the dynamic, the romance between them and the tension is so deliciously slow burn. Mm-hmm. And it is, just, it is just right. Because they could have easily have gone like the 90s, 2000s route of just having them make out and just be, you know, live happily ever after. And they don't. They don't have a final kiss. They do have I a final so, goodbye. Yeah. That's why I feel so real. Exactly. Because there's They almost least, did, but they did At least for me, there is a genuine care there. Because she does ask him to leave with her the problem mm-hmm. is that he he's tied to the city he's spoken for he's spoken for <laughs> i love the dialogue here it's an excellent screenplay and i'll tell you why it is just on the nose enough for you to feel like these are comic book characters mm-hmm. i don't know if that makes sense no, yeah, but it, it definitely it, feels it's like a comic just movie, but it's exactly it has the right amount of genre, realism, and nuance. Just, yeah, nuance, just a mix of those three. It's it's very well balanced. It never goes too cringe. One could say, mm. it's never overwhelming. It's never overbearing dialogue where it's like you know. It's like a, a weed in Avengers or something like that. It's not, it's not too much, but it, it is just enough. I know <laughs> it is just it's just enough for you to still feel like you're watching a comic book movie, but it's still a movie that you can enjoy as a movie itself, regardless of the IP, regardless of the comic books. And I think that's something that we can't really say about a lot of superhero movies. We can't really enjoy them um, separating the IP itself. I think mm-hmm. a lot, you know, a lot of it is very dependent on that source material, and this one embraces its source material to such a point that it is the source material. It is the blueprint. It becomes its own thing that you don't have to. Yes, if you know the lore, if you know the stories, which we'll get into in a little bit, 
um, it does enrich the experience for you. Like when I saw it the second time around, I started noticing more details, obviously. that You know, mm-hmm. every time you watch this, you notice more and more things um, as one does. And yeah. there are so many cool and cute little nods to his gadgets, the, you know, the dynamic, his fight style in the Arkham games. And that last fight in the, like on that platform in the Gotham Square Garden, when he leaves, when he takes out foes and leaves them hanging... That's exactly what you do in the video game, <laughs> which is such a, you know, it's such a little detail. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that right off the bat. And I'm like, that's neat. That is so cool. The, you know, in the beginning when he, he we're in, being introduced to um, this state and this of the Batman, you know, he's journaling and he takes off, you know, his contact lens. And I'm like, holy shit, they did the detective mode contact lens. And then they, you know, reveal that even more throughout. So the way that his bat tech, his bat tech, his bat technology is still pretty, um, and it's it's in early stages, but it is very much, uh, it's it's very OG. <laughs> to, 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 to act like the cool kids. It's very much OG um, to what Batman is and has been in other forms of media, not in the movies. <laughs> The closest I think Batman, like a live action Batman has been to like this this version, this one hour version, was like this one scene in Batman vs. Superman in the warehouse. Like that warehouse takedown scene was the closest I've seen to something like a very gadget gadget heavy Batman in his fight. So be be ready for that. Be ready if you haven't seen it yet and you're watching this far. Be ready for that. And I want more of that. And I want him to make his little smoke pellets and his smoke bombs. He's getting Anyways. There. He's getting there. And I love that. I love that for him. And with his little Batmobile, I just think he's neat. You just went off on a really, really great philosophical liter- literary analysis on him. I'm like, I think his gadgets are cool. <laughs> Balance. I mean, that car is great. It's a character in and of itself, and that entire car mm-hmm. chase scene was really good. But also, just to get back on track, um, I do like how this film is rooted kind of in reality because that aspect, I think, is what will carry it and make it memorable mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the year because a lot of people are like, this film probably won't be uh, nominated for the Oscars because it was released in March. And how can a film be carried through March? Because, eh. and They all sound like that. <laughs> yes, they all sound, they like, all sound that. like they They say, they, they don't even say that on Twitter. They say it, like, through through a phone, little thing. <laughs> the Batman. <laughs> they say it, they say, like, Joe. They're all J. Jonah Jameson. The Batman is a comic book film that will not be nominated for the Oscars because it was released in March. I think it will. If Joker was nominated for Best Picture, bruh. Anyways. (laughs) So the thing is that one aspect that will carry it through is that it is rooted in reality, which is the the aspect that carried Joker through as well, which it comments Mm -hmm. on the part of society. And... Uh, it's a nice way to say woke. woke. <laughs> so this film comments on corruption, police force, and politics, especially politicians. Mm-hmm. So I think this film mm-hmm. will carry it as well. Also, it deals with underground um, underground crime. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and segue. Let's talk about Colin Farrell. Ooh, yes. <laughs> I don't Speaking know, of Chief. Bad accents, not really. He has. He honestly had a good accent. No, it's campy. Mine. 
I'm talking it's, about it's, mine. <laughs> I, I loved Colin Farrell's accent. Colin Farrell is not in the movie as much as I expected, but he's yeah. in it the right amount. He was amount. good. I mean, I did not Very recognize good. him. I actually liked how now <laughs> the penguin is from New Jersey. <laughs> yes! Everything's legal in New Jersey. <laughs> like, he's not really from New Jersey. Don't take it that way, literally. How you Just doing? Like his, ac- his accent. His accent was so Jersey. It's like... it, he really did. He he really went for it. And, you know, this is... Colin Farrell's Irish, right? Yeah, this... just Colin Farrell spoke, and I was like, how'd I get to Hoboken? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I, I respect it. He did... He, <laughs> He followed an assignment, and and I if respect it, him for it. it. Honestly, it, he it. just he had something in mind, and he carried it through. And immediately, like this version of like, it's. I was reading up when Anne Hathaway was asked to give advice to Zoe Kravitz on her portrayal of Catwoman, and she said, "Honestly, I can't give any advice because." just do what you think is right for your portrayal of the character and that was literally what colin farrell did with the penguin he just like danny devito exists how can you top that just be yourself and he just did something and it worked it really did i think you know the camp he really brought us back into oh this is by the way this is still a batman movie you know the whole iceberg lounge the 44 Mm -hmm. below the the penguin uh himself the atmosphere his henchmen, the twins, the twins from Desperate Housewives, that most people will be like, oh my god, the ones from Teen Wolf. Desperate yeah. Housewives. I was like, They're the from- dudes from Teen Wolf. It's the twins I'm, from I was Teen like, Wolf. oh my god, it's the twins from Desperate Housewives, which is super old. I was... I like, was they were waiting. children there, but yeah, it was hilarious. to get punched in the face. Yep, and, and we got... You got what you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> They kept honestly, closing the door on our guy. On on our guy, honestly. The dis the disrespect. The disrespect. On you know, on my daughter's wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> that was the penguin. <laughs> it was honestly you know, the the penguin just like Colin Farrell said, What if the godfather were just a little freaky? <laughs> what if the godfather I just mean, was a little weird. At least he knows the difference between L and La. And La. <laughs> Spanish speaking, our Spanish speaking audience, uh, clearly, it, we we knew. We knew something was up because you it's like El Rata. We were ahead of the game with that plot point. El Rata La. I was like, mm, something's la, off. La, 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 exactly. La, la, la. So the fact that there was, you know, a whole bit on how. Batman and, and Detective Gordon stool had that pigeon. whole harmony. The stool pigeon. They had. They thought they had it all figured out. It was very much like you said. It was very much a Scooby Doo moment. They really Scooby Dooed that shit. Yeah, because they just Honestly. left him waddling. They actually got him. They to left him waddling. <laughs> Honestly, I think you know everything just kind of fell into place. I'm sure they were laughing their asses off when they were making these scenes. Like it's just. It's so it's it's serious. It's in a serious context, but it is it is playful in the way that it's portrayed. Like, yes, again, dark, gritty, you know, serious, realistic movie, but it still has like this playful side to it. Um, because it knows what it's about. It's not pretending to be something mm-hmm. that it isn't. It still knows that it is a little it just a little bit silly. It knows yeah. it's just a little bit silly, and it embraces that, and it makes it cool. It's like, I know I'm being a little cringe right now, mm-hmm. but I, you you can't look away. 
Yeah. You can't look away. Speaking um, of, um, with the Riddler then going into him. The um, cringiest part. <laughs> no. <laughs> with that, purpose. Um, like, I have not seen the Jim Carrey portrayal, but I can imagine that it was more flamboyant than what we got. So it was interesting to see a Riddler that was actually trying to be terrifying. Yes. I mean, we barely have any, you know, live action portrayals of Riddler. Like the last time mm-hmm. we had that was Jim Carrey, and that was in 1995. <laughs> you know, it's mid 90s, almost 30 years ago. Hello? Mm-hmm. Hello? So, and I've been waiting for a freaking Riddler uh, live <laughs> you said action. Almost 30 years ago. I'm like, oh, that hurt. Oh, that one hurt. That one hurt, <laughs> didn't it? Huh? <laughs> Not almost 30. Not 20, almost 30. 20, 27. 27 years. Shh. It's okay. There's it's a okay. difference. There's a difference. Okay. Whatever Whatever makes it go down better. It's all good. It's all good. Anyways, <laughs> I've been waiting for, you know, the Riddler to be in a live action movie for a hot minute. I feel like, um, especially after, I don't know, maybe it was just, you know, the internet back then was just different. But I feel like after The Dark Knight came out and then The Dark Rise, Dark Knight Rises um, happened, um, before it came out, people were just, like, really waiting on Riddler because, okay, we got Joker. How about Riddler? Because Riddler is, like, one of the top-tier villains in Batman's rogues gallery. And I think mm-hmm. he's a fucking fantastic villain because it's that... It's that... Mm, it's the funny. It has the ha-has. But it also has the scaries, the you know, and the deadly hahas exactly. Uh-huh, make it and and actually, you know, professional language. He brings a certain sense of campiness to the role, whilst also amping up the mystery. Because Joker is more chaos. There aren't as many plot twists to be had with Joker. Um, the Riddler is more of a journey. It's more of a, a fun adventure you know murder mystery drama it's like playing clue you know mm-hmm. that that's that's basically you know watching something or reading something with riddler so i really really liked that aspect of it um i do understand the initial hesitation with the whole social media perspective and you know kind of deal that they did with him just kind of mm-hmm. making him like a kind of an incel Who's Twitch streaming, going, you know, in his fucking mask, just like, hey, guys. With his 500 followers. uh, I love how they were like, he has 500 followers. And I'm like, that's nothing. It was very much, it was very much um, Bo Burnham's Welcome to the Internet. That was, (laughs) that was the Riddler here. Which, again, it is funny. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. He brings a sense of absurdity that actually, you know, the it was a good balance. I loved Bo Burnham inside. Bo Burnham. <laughs> Bo, Bur- Bo Burnham to direct the Riddler spinoff. How's that? <laughs> that would be actually hilarious. Um, but yeah, and, and speaking of comedy, there is like a really, really good dark humor here that works to as a very nice balanced comic relief with everything that's going on. And Jeffrey Wright is one of like the best um, character, uh, best actors 
on this cast that portrays that, you know, he's he himself, he plays a detective Gordon who's trying so hard to be cool, who's trying so hard to get the job done and be a good cop because that's what he, you know, that's what he is. That's that's his mm. character. Um <laughs> But my favorite scene of his is when he's, like, pretending to be, you know, dominating and angry to Batman in the interrogation room. <laughs> and he starts doing, like, his, his really, you know, over his exaggerated facial expressions, trying to be, you know, menacing. And he's like, we got to get you out of here. <laughs> I think that was my favorite bit with him. But I, it is great. Yeah, I mean, I love him. He's my favorite part of everything he's in. Westworld, Hunger Games. He's just good. French Dispatch. It's it's Benicio del Toro. It's it's Jeffrey Wright. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the top tier, but we digress. Um, essentially, this movie has a good villain mm-hmm. that doesn't overshadow Batman, that brings a good level of absurdity and camp that doesn't overwhelm the serious tone of the movie. Um, again, it's not it's not a movie that. Does, that pretends to not be a comic book movie because it is very faithful to the comics like even especially with the dynamic between um batman and catwoman at the end um to the point that i think i don't remember which comic it was but there is if i'm not mistaken there is a comic strip where <laughs> every time that they say goodbye or like almost every time that they part ways and like you know till we it's it's not so much a goodbye but it's a till we meet again dynamic mm-hmm. um he tells selena always to take care and so when he said take care of yourself i'm like i love them that's good that's good shit right there and their dynamic with the motorcycles and that final shot where they have to part ways because they are still you know it's right person wrong time and that trope i eat it up i eat it up my heart hurts <laughs> uh, I guess a good way to close is, of course, with the ending, which a lot of people aren't liking the ending. Um, but one thing we get is Joker. That is true. We get, uh, is it Barry Keegan? Yeah. Barry Keegan is the Joker. Um, I originally thought, because they were kind of vague with it, because mm-hmm. we, we don't really outright think Joker when mm-hmm. um, our Riddler um or Paul Dano is in prison is in Arkham at the end and I thought he was the real Riddler at first I was like is this a real Riddler and you know this guy is actually Hush who's like a Riddler copycat I still think that he could possibly be Hush but it's kind of a reach but there are certain you know one could argue that's a whole like you, I could do a whole episode on this lots of theories and speculation um I don't I this is a copycat with many copycats, possibly. I don't think we saw the Riddler. I mm. would be happy, you know, I wouldn't be mad. If this is the Riddler that, and that's it, that's fine. But how fierce would it be if this was not the Riddler, the real Riddler? <laughs> and then he pairs up with the Joker and they, we actually get eventually get a real Riddler who's another iteration and even more terrifying and more intimidating and not so much... Um, an insecure because he is insecure. This dude, this dude, mm-hmm. as confident as he is with his um, intelligence, his intellect, he's an insecure motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's Riddler here. 
And I think there's a lot that Matt Reeves could do with the sequel. And yeah. and, and the way that he ended it, and uh, especially with Batman's character, the growth that we saw, and the state of Gotham City. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect this movie to go hard. This movie is not afraid I mean, I thought he of was consequences. Die. I thought he was going <laughs> to die when he cut that rope. I literally, like, cl- like clutched my chest. And not your pearls? Not my Sorry. pearls. I didn't have pearls. <laughs> not the so pearls. Like, my chest. <laughs> I'm not breathing. I thought he was going to die, and I thought that would have been very badass. But the fact that they kept him in, of course, means that we might get more, which is going to be good, because I actually like this portrayal of Batman, so I don't mind. But if they did yeah. that, I was like, that's badass because then he falls honestly bold the best shots ever so (sighs) that shot with of him you know leading those people out also the hand shots in this movie really quick you know i love hands the hand shots with (laughs) bruce not in a weird way oh my god that's not a weird no i like shots you're fine because hands are a form of intimacy people whenever like Joe, Joe Wright, Joe Wright, Joe Wright, director of Pride and Prejudice, the, the, uh-huh. the hand flex, um, The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson, hands, like, using hands as a form to show intimacy is such a wonderful thing to do in cinema, because we conceal so much with hands, so, hand shots in a comic book film, They're especially good. this one, it shows trust, like, it's an easy way to show trust or distrust, interest, disinterest, it's just... Yes, and full circle moments the whole way through because then that le- one of the last hand shots was when Batman was reaching, you know, extending his hand to help those people underneath, like, the piles of um, debris yeah. from the collapsed ceiling. And the first hand that shoots out is the orphan that he yeah. saw in the beginning. He was like, he, that, he's me for real. So that kid <laughs> is the first one to show his trust for Batman and set the example. I just, you know, it's just there's so many layers to this that I think are so enriching and meaningful, not only to Batman as a character, mm-hmm. but this entire story as a whole. Um, there's, there's so much that so many different people can get out of it. And I think that is what cinema should be. Yeah. I think cinema should be this transformative experience uh, when you go watch something. You, you just come out a little bit different every time. And I, th- I think that's beautiful. I think, I think it is a cha- ever-changing process um, through stories. And Matt Reeves really just kind of hit it out of the park. Um, yeah, if you guys want to speculate on is it Hush or Nah, <laughs> if you guys want to speculate on what could be uh, possible in a sequel, perhaps, I think there's a lot that you could do, um, especially if he does another three-hour movie. Like, you could do a trilogy out of this <laughs> very easily Oh yeah. Um, with the three-hour run times because there's, again... We're scratching, you know, as much as as much ground as was covered here, we're scratching the surface. We got Bane. We got Joker. We got um, a possible other Riddler. We have um, Victor Zaz. We have Hugo Strange. Like, we have all of these really, really cool and interesting villains in his rogues gallery. We even have Mad Hatter, who's a mm-hmm. freaky little villain. <laughs> <laughs> He's a kooky little character. And it's still... Bring you can back Sebastian Stan. 
Yes. He was the Mad Actually. Hatter in Once Upon a Time. He's yes, great and fresh. You know what? Bring him back. Make him a little, you... little, little, little freaky. <laughs> A little freaky. <laughs> I respect that, actually. That, that's actually not a bad, bad cast. That's not a bad Thank casting. You. You're welcome. <laughs> Anyways, good movie. Go watch. Go watch. <laughs> um, definitely, if you love it, I think it definitely... I really liked watching it a second time. I got more out of it this, a second time. And I would watch it a third time. Maybe it's just because I'm obsessed. I'm going to go watch it a second time, so... It's... It's just one of those things. I think it's just yeah. one of those things that doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I think it's good to enjoy them. Yeah. Yes. Where shall they find you, Miss Josie? You can find me at the Josie Marie on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me at Captain Melendez, also on Twitter and Letterboxd, and you can subscribe to Film Talk here on YouTube and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you are listening to this podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter, TikTok. Yes. And that's about it. Uh, Stay tuned. Let us know in the comments if you like this episode and what else you would like to see on this channel and and on this podcast in general. And, oh, make sure to follow us on Twitter, actually, because we've been tweeting, like, really fun memes. (laughs) Really fun fun clips and bits. Um, It's not just us talking about our own podcast. So I think it's been fun. We've been having a lot of fun with it. And we would appreciate that you guys go watch it and go see it. Um, anyways, have a, have a good evening, morning, afternoon, whenever you are here, uh, listening or watching and goodbye. <laughs> Bye.